The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911. Yeah, and there would be days like this today. Hey, everybody, this is Michael Aaron Woody filling in for Dave Congleton on Dave Congleton's Hometown Radio. Uh, we have an amazing show lined up for you this afternoon. We have three amazing guests, and there's kind of a little bit of a theme going on today because the three guests I have coming in are talking about the lives that they have and living a little bit differently than most and creating some type of balance in their life as well and setting a lesson for all of us on how we can all live. At the four o'clock hour, we have Nairi Shaji, and always amazing to talk to her, talking about a healthy lifestyle and how you can accomplish that healthy lifestyle within a busy schedule. And at five o'clock, we have an extremely special guest, former assembly member Jordan Cunningham will be coming in and talking about his time in the state assembly and how in the world did he balance his job in the state assembly, his professional life and family life, and make that all work together. But in this hour, I have an extremely good friend of mine coming in here today. His name is Jack Smith from Morro Bay. I like to call him a skateboarding legend. He's a movie producer. He has lived this amazing life of uh, challenges from uh, going across country on a skateboard, producing movies, and so many other things that he's involved in th- with in this entire region. So, Jack, good to see you here today. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for asking me in. How are you doing today? Doing well. Anything good going on? Uh, two new grandkids. That's pretty pretty good. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. When when do they come in? Uh, one about 11 months ago and one a couple months ago. Holy cow. Now, are they living here in San Luis Obispo? Uh, one of them is in Morro Bay and the other is in the San Diego area. <laughs> so that means you're the doting grandfather that is over there all the time taking care of the grandkids. Uh, yeah. that sounds great listen i really appreciate your time and coming in here today because you are one of the most amazing people that i've ever had a chance to meet with in in my life every time that you and i get together and we got to do a little backstory on this one you and i would get together for a cup of coffee or whatever at a local coffee shop and i always know that i have to set aside a couple hours because it's jack and Jack has the most amazing stories in this world to tell. And a couple of stories that I want to talk about today uh, to get this going is talking about not just only your skateboarding that you have done cross country and you've done this professionally and whatnot, but I want to talk about how you got into making movies. And the other one, too, is I want to touch into is how did you decide one day that you were going to live your life a little differently then I would say most people live. You were going to, instead of most people saying, hey, I'm going to do this cross-country drive or this cross-country trip, you actually went out and do them. Right. Well, um, I guess uh, we'll start with the, the skateboarding. Yeah. Um, uh, got involved in it in the, well, I'll call it early 70s, early to mid-70s, and I'd been doing it for a couple years. And uh we were looking for something a little different to do uh, in the summertime. 
a group of friends and I in Morro Bay. And, re- and real quick, put a perspective. Yep. What was your age about then? I was 19 okay. when, when we came up with this idea to, to skateboard across America. Um, and, you know, nobody had ever done it before. We didn't even know if we could do it. Um, but we thought, it, you, know, you know, even if we failed at it, we'd have a good time doing it. Uh, so we sat down and wrote a letter to uh, a company in Florida and outlined our idea and what we wanted to do. And the company was? It was a company called Roller Sports. Okay. And, and we thought they were this giant company. Mm-hmm. They were actually, a, you know, their offices were in the back room of a roller skating rink. So, But they appeared very big. But they, anyway, <laughs> they, you know, we sent the letter. We never thought we'd hear from them again or would hear back from them, I should say. And uh, a couple weeks later, we got a letter and they made us an offer. Uh, they said that they would supply us with all the gear we needed, and they'd pay us 500 bucks each if we made it. <laughs> if you made it. If we made it. So uh, put together the team. Uh, two of the original members dropped out, uh, recruited a couple other guys to, to jump in, planned our route, um, and uh, took off or drove up to Oregon where we were starting, and, and off we went in uh, the summer of 1976. Good grief. Now, what made you say, we're going to start this in Oregon? Because you're from Morro Bay. <laughs> right. And and getting up to Oregon, obviously, yeah. is a little bit of a trip. And, yeah. you know, you've got some logistics involved with this. What made you say, start this in Oregon? Well, as we started looking at routes, one of our first thoughts was, if, if we stayed in the northern part of the country, uh, it might be a bit cooler. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, and that didn't work out. It was, ended up being plenty hot. Uh, the second uh, thought was, less population equals less cars, less traffic. And that did work out. Um, and the way we did this trip, you know, I just want to be clear: is like we did it as a relay. We what we call a leapfrog relay, okay. where let's call him Skater A begins skating in the morning. The support vehicle drives out three miles in front and stops. Skater B gets out and takes off. The car waits for Skater A. When he gets there, they drive three miles ahead, passing passing Skater B. Skater C takes off skating. So it's this, it's this rotation. Each guy ends up skating anywhere from 35 to 50 miles a day. So we can cover, as a team, you know, at least 100 miles a day usually. Okay, so what you had, and that's genius to do that. I, I never would have thought about doing it that way because, right. I mean, you know, a, a lot of people, a lot of my good friends know that I do a lot of endurance running mm-hmm. and endurance um, athlete, right. athletes, you know, it's my kind of thing. Yeah. But I never dawned on me that you do it in leapfrog like that. That way you have two people out there at the yeah. same time. And, and they're, they're basically three miles apart. You're covering six miles in the time you could cover in, in about three um, the two fellows who went with me that first trip were Morro Bay buddies of mine. One was a high school basketball teammate, Jeff Wrench, okay. who still lives in Morro Bay, and the other fellow was Mike Philbin. Mm-hmm. And I always joke with Jeff that we took him for two reasons. One is that he was very big and strong, 6'4". We figured he would be a, kind of a, an enforcer. Uh, and he had the best running car of all of us. So okay, that's, it was a yeah. 69 Firebird was our support vehicle. Very cool. Yeah, and and that's where you know the, I guess the next question comes in is that this is at a time when you don't have cell phones, you know, you can't text each other, you can't call each other, you don't have any right. of these emergency emergency um, backup support systems. Did you guys during all of this? Did you ever run into problems? Somebody would get lost, somebody would get mixed up, or something like that. Did you have anything like that happening? We had, you know, before I get into that, one of the interesting things about the the trip, I I, I tell people is long-distance calls were very expensive back then. Yes. So the way we did it was one person would uh, call, one of us would call home to our parents, a collect call to their parents, and then they would 
Um, and then that parent would call the other parents to let them know uh, where we were, that we were still alive. Um, but we had a couple experiences where a, a, a cell phone would have come in handy. Uh, Jeff got, well, he says we got lost. We say he got lost one time. And we ended up going to a sheriff's station and uh, recruiting the sheriff to help us find Jeff. He had taken a wrong turn somewhere. Oh, jeez. Well, I'll tell you what. We're heading to a break right now. And after the break, we're going to get back to Jack and talk more about his stories about going cross-country on skateboards and many other things that we have going on today. So we'll be right back after this break. KBEC, and this is News Talk, 920 AM and 96.5 FM, KBEC. It was going so good. I know. (laughs) We'll, We'll polish it. We'll polish. We'll be right back. Take it easy, baby, I worked all day and my feet feel just like lead. You got my shirt tail flying all over the place and the sweat popping out of my head. She said, hey, boss, I'm over, baby, keep on working. You know, I always love doing and being on this show because you have the most amazing music ever. Hey, welcome back to the Dave Congleton Show. I'm Michael Aaron Woody sitting in for Dave Congleton today. We're in conversation right now with Jack Smith. And Jack, before we went to that break, we were talking about the different adventures that you were having with... Um, doing the skateboarding right. across America, especially yeah. the challenges that you faced back in the 70s. This is before cell phones, pages, mm-hmm. or anything else like that. And right. we were talking about that. Well, you know, I've done this trip. Uh, I've pushed across four times, 1976, 1984, 2003, 2013, and then in 2018 did it on an electric skateboard. But going back to the cell phone thing, uh, on the second trip in 84, of course, we didn't have cell phones. And we had just... Uh, We'd started the morning in uh, on the west side of Yellowstone and skated up to the gate, and we knew that we couldn't skate inside, so we jumped in the in the car, and, or at that time a van, and got past the gate and then started skating. But, of course, we got busted about nine miles in. Um, we ended up going over to Old Faithful to see it uh, you know, go off. Unfortunately, we missed it uh, twice in a row, so we ended up sitting for an hour so we wouldn't miss it. Anyway, we... We get done with that. We drive to the eastern border of Yellowstone, the eastern entrance, and we start uh, exit, and we start skating. And uh, we're on this two-lane highway heading towards Cody, and all of a sudden this woman comes running up out of a creek bed um, and and flagging us down. And she asked us if we were the ambulance. She was totally, you know, hysterical. Uh, and our van had lettering on it, so it could, you know, it could have looked like an ambulance. Sure. So we're like, no, 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 what's going on? And about that time, she says, my, I think my daughter has drowned. And about that time, this cowboy-looking fellow comes up out of the creek with a looks, looks like a two-year-old girl uh, in his arms, and she's blue, and she looks, oh. looks dead. So we tell her, put her in the car, put her in the van, we'll take you guys to Cody, to the hospital. Right. And the lady was so freaked out, she said, oh, but we'll get your van muddy. And I won't use the words that Paul used, but he said, oh, get in the blankety-blank van. So he put her in, Paul and her get in the van, they ta- and, the, and the cowboy, and they take off down the, the road. Uh, about five or ten miles later, uh, Paul sees a sheriff's car coming the other way, so Paul just blocks the road. And the sheriff um, gets out, and he's like, what's going on? By that time, the little girl has stopped breathing again. They get her out, put her on the roadside. They're doing CPR. And then about that time, right as they're doing CPR, a doctor who's just happen- happening to be, be on his way to Yellowstone on vacation sees what's going on, pulls over, takes over the scene, and eventually an ambulance does show up. They get her in the ambulance and get her down to Cody. Mm-hmm. So we're freaked out. We've still got 40 miles to skate. So we end up skating the rest of the afternoon into Cody. 
And that night we made a, we decided to go over to the hospital and see if we could find out anything. And just as we got there, the mom was rushing out and we said, you know, what's going on with your daughter? And she was thanking us profusely and, and what's going on with your daughter? And she said, well, they just put her on a life flight uh, to Salt Lake City. So that was it. You know, we, we had no idea what had happened. But one thing we did on that trip, because there was no internet back then, is we, if we were interviewed, we would give the newspaper person uh, a self-addressed, self-stamped envelope to send us a copy of the article. So we ended up getting a copy of the article, you know, moments we got home. And, it, and, you know, it didn't really say. It just said what happened. It said we were helpful in it. And that was 1984. Mm-hmm. Flash forward to 2011. We never knew. We never knew the outcome of what happened to this little girl. Gary Fluitt, one of the guys on the team, uh, was getting ready to move back from Colorado to, to the Central Coast, and he found an article. He found that article. And it's funny, at the time, Gary was wor- working for Google, and so he's an expert at, at all things Google, and he found the name of the girl and her family name, and that they were from Salt Lake City. Uh, it mentioned that in that article from 84. He started doing some snooping, and he found a young woman just outside Salt Lake City who was about the right age. So he sent her a letter, sent her an email, mm-hmm. found her email and said, hey, my buddies and I were involved in this hopeful rescue back in 84, and this person had the same name as you. Is it you? Well, four months go by. He doesn't hear anything. Sure. Finally, one day he gets an email, and it, it says, Dear Gary, very interesting to get your email today, she said, because I don't use this email account anymore. I only reason I went to it was to close it, and I came across your email, and she said, I am that little girl. Thank you for saving our, my life. Good grief. She's had no um, after effects. She is a reporter for a small-town newspaper, and it was getting ready to publish her first novel. That is absolutely yeah. stunning. I get I mean, a little choked up every time I tell that story. I, I can see why. I mean, I'm, you know, you get a little emotional just even listening to a story like that. I mean, yeah. because you, you go back through the obvious, which is that decision to uh, skateboard cross country. Yeah. Very well saved that woman's life. Right. And all the things that led up to it that day, the, being at Yellowstone. Actually, I didn't, I left out that that morning um, we couldn't start at our usual time because it was raining. Okay. So all these things led up to us driving across that bridge at exactly the right time. Absolutely unbelievable yeah. story. And that is one of the stories that uh, is included in the, the, the new film I'm working on. Okay. Yeah. That, that just absolutely is amazing. And when it comes to skateboarding across America, tell me how many times have you guys done this before? I've, I've done it, pushed across four times. Okay. And then, but I always wanted to do it solo. So in 2016, I made an attempt on an electric board. Okay. Uh, made it from Eugene, Oregon to Mountain Home, Idaho, and I had a couple close calls, mm-hmm. and I quit. Okay. I, I stopped in Mountain Home, Idaho. Basically, I chickened out, and I uh, came home, and uh, for the next two years, it bugged the crap out of me. My, uh, I could hear my dad's voice and my high school woodshop teacher, Mr. <laughs> Gerard's voice, saying, if you finish something, st- you know, if you start something, finish it. Absolutely. So my wife retired in 2018. Two of our children got married right uh, that, that same summer, and when that was all over with, we decided to make another, t- another attempt. So uh, we drove to Mountain Home, Idaho, and off we went. And this was the solo attempt, correct? This was on the electric board. Okay, yeah. now, when you did it the first time, just to be clear about this, right. you did have a support crew with you. We've always had a support crew. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, you know, 
we were our, basically we're our own support crew, the team, right. because it's, there's nobody else with us. It's just the team. Now, if I can go back to when you first did this with your two friends, and as I like to say that when I was that age, I was a knucklehead. So was I. 19, yeah. I mean, yeah. you're a 19-year-old, you're with your friends, you think you have all the answers, you don't train for anything or anything else like that. Did you guys put any training or any <laughs> thought into logistics? Where did you stay at night? How did you sleep? How did you no. eat? No. We did not train. Um, we were just skating a lot at the time. We didn't train. Um, we thought about logistics. We mapped out you know, our route. We had no idea where we were going to stay any time until we ended up there the day of, you know, okay, look, well, we'd pick a spot on the map and go, ah, let's try and make it there, you know, and, and if we made it there, great. If we didn't, we slept wherever we could. Oh, so literally, we're talking about sleeping in the car. We, um, one guy slept in the van, or in, the, in well, the first trip in the 69 Firebird slept in, one guy might sleep in the Firebird, and the other two guys slept in the tent. Occasionally, we would get a motel. You said two guys, uh, originally part of it, bailed out on you. Right. Have you talked to them? After? Oh, I see them all the time, and you, you, I think you, you probably know one of them. And do they do they talk about the regret that they uh, had? I don't know if it's regret, but um, Larry Newland's been in here before, mm-hmm. uh, and um, Larry was uh, my I call him my best friend, um, first guy I ever met in Morro Bay, and you know I shouldn't say he bailed. He wait a minute, I have to interrupt you. Yeah. You tell me, Larry, Larry was one. Larry Newland. Yeah, he joined a rock and roll band. He was a drummer, and he decided he would rather stay home and be in the rock and roll band than go on the trip with us. So, so it's not like he's like, hey, my mom said I no, can't go. No. <laughs> no, but we did have, you know, my parents were dead set against it uh, for, for about two weeks. And then one day my dad just had this big change of heart and, and uh, said, you know, I've been thinking if I was a young guy, I'd, I'd want to I'd want to do something like this, too. So. Go ahead. Well, I can't blame I can't blame no. you for that. I mean, and, and you know, and a lot of people do go through that. You have your parents involved, you have your friends involved, mm-hmm. and people are saying. Now, I'm assuming that a lot of people, even your friends, were saying, uh, they thought, this is a little crazy." They thought we were nuts. And uh, you know, talk about having your family involved um, it was really cool. On the 2003 push, my 21 year old 21 year old son Dylan was mm-hmm. a member of the team, so he got uh, we got to skate across the country together yeah but see the great part about him is that was he was involved with it but he got all the encouragement and he got all the support from dad this time right yeah see yeah. A, and the thing is is he got your sage advice about this is also which is <laughs> yeah. here's how we have to do this in order to make this right. work yeah now being that you didn't train for any of this i'm assuming your legs also got very sore doing this uh not really. Okay. Yeah. Maybe well, the li- first week a little bit. All right. Well, listen, uh, we are getting ready to head to a break, another break right now. And after this break, we're going to talk more to Jack Smith about his adventures going cross country on a skateboard, plus a lot of other things. This is News Talk, 920 AM, 96.5 FM, KVEC. Back to the Dave Congleton Show here on KVC Hometown Radio. This hour, we are in conversation with Jack Smith from Morro Bay. I always call him a 
skateboard legend, movie making legend, pretty much can do anything that he sets his mind to, I see. <laughs> Jack, always good to have a conversation with you. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Good. Hey, listen, um, a couple of things that I wanted to talk to you about today is, of course, you know, the skateboarding adventures that you've had over the years. But another thing that I have always watched you do and I've always admired you for that people have learned that you also have the ability to do is making movies. One movie so far. One movie, okay. <laughs> One movie so far. Yeah. Um, I want to touch into little things about that, including how you got involved in this. What made you get involved into something that you, from what I understand, did not have a lot of background with, if any at all? No. Um, I moved to Iowa uh, with my buddy Paul Dunn in 1993 mm-hmm. and became aware of a, of a type of basketball that was played uh, in the Midwest, girls basketball, six-on-six basketball. Okay. Um, and I was just fascinated by it and um, started learning about it. They quit playing the game in 1993 and went to the five-girl game. Um, and I kept thinking, you know, there, there should be a movie uh, uh, or a book about this. And I, at first I thought I'd write a book, but I wasn't disciplined enough to write a book. So then I thought, well, I'll, I'll write a movie. I'll write a script. I'd never written a script. And I, I actually didn't write the script for, for the film – which ended up being called New Providence. I wrote the uh, outline, the treatment for it, and then worked with a writer. And uh, we wrote that script in 1997, 98. And, you know, we shopped it around. It got picked up a couple of times, got optioned, never really went anywhere until 2018. I, I met a fellow uh, from Iowa, a producer, movie producer, director, editor, writer, a fellow named Thor Marino. And uh, we rewrote, he, wrote, he, re, he rewrote the script, and uh, we decided to make it as an independent film, went out and raised the money for it, shot it in 2020, and uh, edited it that year, and then we released it in uh, 20, February, late February of 2021, right during the pandemic. Um, it played in about 60 theaters in Iowa, mm-hmm. and uh, I should say the Midwest, uh, and then it went to Amazon. And you can still watch it on Amazon. Well, I'll tell you what, I have seen it. It was just an amazing piece of work. I was just so impressed with your ability to put something like that together, especially knowing that you really didn't have a big background in doing something like this. No. Uh, the closest I'd come to uh, doing anything like that was I worked on the movie uh, Twister. Uh, I did location finding. You mm-hmm. know, that, that was my experience of making movies. What was, what, what's the name of your movie on Amazon? New Providence. New Providence. Okay. Yes. Yeah, it's and I was incredibly impressed by it. I know I saw it down at the Morro Bay Theater and also saw it on Amazon as well. And when I saw it, I, it's like I said, I kept watching it and thinking, wow, for somebody who just started out doing this, this is really, yeah. really impressive. And, and the people, from what I understand, the people that were also in the movie, a lot of them were the actual actual oh, basketball yeah. players. Yeah. These were um, some of the women on the oh, women's we, high school team. We had 40 of the best high school uh basketball players in the film mm-hmm. uh, a couple of college players uh we had real referees that was really the most important thing to me that we portrayed the game as it should be uh i get i, I can't stand sports movies where you can tell the actors that the first time they picked up a basketball was a day before shooting so <laughs> that was important to me that we get the basketball scenes correct and, and we did and you know we had four or five hundred extras involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just, uh, you know, not making any money. It's a labor of love. It was a labor of love. You know, it's funny you say that about the the actors not being able to do it. I remember the first time I saw part of the Yankees. I'm a huge Yankees fan. I love the Yankees. But when I first turned it on, I thought it was the part where uh, he had Lou Gehrig's disease and he was old and decrepit and couldn't move. 
And then I realize it's the beginning of the movie and he's totally fine. Wow. And I realize, <laughs> wow, he cannot play baseball. Very good. <laughs> I, I'm just like, well, Gary Cooper is not a baseball player. <laughs> right. Because when he was running in from the outfield, he looked like he was 70 years old. Yeah. And I thought he was at the point in the movie where he already had it. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, so that's, that's funny, funny you mentioned that. <laughs> yeah. And I've seen, I've seen that before, especially when it comes to uh, distance runners and, sure. and running movies. When I see people talk about, we're going to do a movie on marathon runners and whatnot. And I watch this and I think, you have never ran more than about two miles in your life. This oh, yeah. is not it's working. That, yeah. is not How are you happen. able to get all the people, you said the real uh, refs involved and all these other people. How did you contact them? And, was, and were they expecting like, oh, this is a big Hollywood movie. And you're like, uh, pump your brakes. <laughs> no, they, they knew from the outset that, you know, it was a... You know, a low-budget film. Um, Craft Services was it, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Peanut butter, the, the, actually, the producer's or the director's wife handled Craft Service. She made sandwiches and stuff. Um, people in Iowa still have such a love for six-on-six basketball, even though it hasn't been played since 1993. They just wanted to be part of this. And, and you know, I got, got online, started networking with people. The Iowa Girls Basketball uh, High School uh, Athletic Union helped out a lot. Just word of mouth and, and the internet, and we were able to get everything we needed. Had to have period-correct uniforms. And my friend Billy Smith, who I used to work for here in San Luis Obispo, now works at New Balance. He put me in touch with the uniform people at New Balance. They made custom uniforms for us. And even better was when the uniforms were ready, Billy said, hey, for my contribution to the movie, I'm paying for the uniforms. Wow. Now, so, now, the athletes that were doing this, now they had to learn a different form of basketball. They had to learn how to play because in six-on-six six basketball, you can only take two dribbles, and then you have to pass or shoot. The only thing that crosses half court is the ball. If you're an offensive player, you stay on the offensive end. If you're a defensive player, you stay on the defensive end. Oh, I know. And a lot of people think it would be a very slow-moving game and boring. No. Often the scores were... In the 90s and 100s, it was very fast paced because unlike today's basketball, or a lot of today's basketball, you don't have some knucklehead out there just dribbling around trying to do his own thing. They pass the ball. They move the ball. Oh, yeah, they have no choice at that yeah. point. Were you exactly. able to see like footage of past games and how it worked? Yeah, I um, did a lot of watching of uh, old footage of six-on-six six basketball, going to libraries uh, in Iowa, finding old films, um, read a lot about it. And then just you know talk to a lot of people about it about little idiosyncrasies like if a if a girl on defense got fouled, she wasn't allowed to shoot. So the the coach got to pick who he wanted to have shoot that free throw. So just there was a lot of funny little things like that. Were the were the women athletes? Were they easy to coach? Get them to understand oh, these, how to do this. These girls were amazing. They picked it up right away. In fact, they got so good at it that when we would. A lot of times we were just looking for a specific shot. Right. But a lot of times, then there were times we said, just play. And we'd just film as they played. And it got to the point where we had to give the director a whistle because when he'd yell cut, the crowd was so into it, the extras, they couldn't hear him yell cut and the girls would just keep playing. Oh, that is hysterical. Yeah, so it yeah. sounds like they had a good time doing this as well. Had a good time. And we had so many, especially older people, come up to, to the crew mm -hmm. during the filming and, and thank us. For, for making this film and preserving that little bit of history that is so important to the, the people of Iowa. And, of course, because this wasn't actually that long ago, I would assume a lot of the athletes who used to play oh, yes. this type were actually there. We actually had uh, the girl who was the uh, most valuable player in the 1993 tournament. Her mm -hmm. team won the state championship. Uh, Lisa Brinkmeyer 
we uh, actually shot a game at her old school, oh. and we had her come in, and she played the coach of her old school, and her teammates were extras in the crowd. Oh no, that's absolutely amazing! And she had just had to, she had to just love every minute of being oh, part yeah, of something yeah, like that. She did brought back a lot of memories and yep. everything. Now you also have another movie project coming up as well, if I'm right. Right. Um, I've been threatening to write it for years, and finally about a year and a half ago, I sat down and, and started writing it, and I'm about a day away from being done with the first draft. Okay. It's a fiction. It's a it's a story inspired by my 1976 Crossing of America. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fictionalized version, because uh, watching three guys just skate day after day would be pretty boring. So, you know, I've added in a, there's, there's a love interest, there's some other conflicts in it, mm-hmm. but it's, it's based on that 76 trip um, with stories from my other trips included in it, but just massaged to fit into that 76 time frame. Now, if I can ask, and I don't know if you want to give away a lot of the storyline or anything else like that, is the story going to start with literally you guys in Morro Bay coming up with this harebrained idea? I mean, how's, how's this going to, what's, what's your concept for this movie? Yeah, it, 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 the film actually starts in South Dakota. Okay. Um, on a farm. But then quickly it, it, it cuts and it, uh, and in the present day, and then it cuts back to Morro Bay in 1976. I picture lots of jean shorts and uh, uh, guys with no T-shirts on. That's just have, what I... I, or, I or, or wait, and, yeah. and those knee-high socks? Yeah, knee-high oh, socks. Around, the tube socks, thank we, you. Yeah. yeah. We did have the, the, the high tube socks. None of us, I don't think, ever wore jean shorts. We wore shorts, but not jean shorts. Um You'll never catch me, or never in my whole life. I've never worn jean shorts. Um, is, the, is a lot of the dialogue, <laughs> dude? <laughs> no, see, that's that's such a, is you know, that, yeah, that's that's such, such a, you know, uh, stereotype. Um, you know, the words we used back then were more like primo man and no, stuff okay, like that. No. But oh, sorry, know, sorry, Shakespeare. No, <laughs> and that's didn't know the dialogue been, was that intense. Exactly, and, yes. and that's and that's been a probably the most difficult part of writing this thing is trying to remember how we spoke back then you know and 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 make it sound realistic yeah and i couldn't imagine the challenge was doing something like that and especially trying to get other people to understand as the actors this is how it really was Mm -hmm. you might think it was this way but actually it's more kind of like this all right well listen we're heading to another break right now and after this break we're going to talk more to jack smith about this upcoming movie project he has going on this is news talk 920 AM, 96.5 FM, KVEC. You know, I almost feel like that we should be having a lot of 70s music playing right now with Jack going on uh, about his trips during the 70s. We should, but I'm kind of (laughs) busy. I would imagine so. We are in conversation with the incredible Jack Smith today, talking about his projects that he has going on, including his cross-country uh, skateboard trips that he's been doing. But, Jack, we were in conversation about this new movie that you've got going on right now. Tell us a little bit more about this and uh, how it came to fruition and where it stands right now. Well, uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, started writing it about a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. and um, I think I'm going to finish the first draft tomorrow. Um and it's kind of a you know kind of a coming of age story set against the backdrop of you know three small town kids pushing their skateboards across America, uh, and you know before they left, you know really all they knew about America was what they saw in the nightly news or in textbooks, mm-hmm. and so this kind of follows their journey. There's like I said, there's a love story in it. Um, one of the characters is 
grew up in a military family, moved around a lot, so he's kind of searching for maybe his place to be. Uh, where he's going to end up. So it's somewhat based on real life, but with a little bit of embellishment. Yeah, exactly. Based, yeah. But it's primarily based on your experiences of doing this before with your friends. Right. Okay. And uh, the name of the film is With with No Direction Home, which comes from the Bob Dylan song, Like I, a Rolling Stone. That is really... Now, who came up with that? Here's Truly. That's impressive. <laughs> I never would have came up with something like that. It was that a is, lucky. I heard it playing one day. That is very impressive. Although not very hollywood you got to give something called... Explosion home. <laughs> yeah. Something that, you know, you got to think about the, the movie producer, you know, yeah. something, something that makes it, you know, yeah. stand yeah, and, out. And then you have the teaser. I mean, you, did somebody, something get blown up? I mean, during the no. teaser or anything else like exactly. that? Exactly. Slow motion, no. uh, hair blowing, you know, something like that. No, the closest we ever came to an explosion on one of those trips was in 76. This, some guy driving a Coca-Cola delivery truck thought he was being funny and he did it to two of the two of us actually at different times during the day. He would turn his truck off as he and coast up behind us, and then just as he got behind us, he'd turn it back on and it would backfire and scare the crap out Who of us. Does something like that? Uh, that I, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. But you know, it is interesting. We were talking earlier about how there were no cell phones, there was no internet right. back then, or anything else. So for a lot of Americans, you know, what you knew about America was nothing more than a couple of textbooks yeah. or something you'd see on the history classes. News. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. You couldn't get on the Internet and right. maybe Google a community no. or, you know, go on the roadmaps or anything else like that. No. And, you know, we started making use of the Internet on our 2003 trip and we've used it, you know, since then. And it's great now because we can actually, you know, go and look at the condition of the road mm-hmm. using Google Earth. We can see if it has shoulders. and. And now we've got, you know, as I've been writing this script, right. I kept going back and looking at, you know, my my journals from back then. And, and it got me to thinking one day, you know, we were just a bunch of knuckleheads when we did this. We 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 didn't <laughs> oh, yeah. train for it. We just went for it. You, you were know? 19. We were 19. Yeah. Let's go. Um, and I started thinking, if I could get, if you could put together a team of four of elite skateboard pushers, now mm-hmm. longboard pushers, who are amazing. Some of these guys can do 300 miles in a day by themselves on a closed circuit, on a, like a racetrack. Um, if I put together a team of four of those guys, how fast could they do it? In 1976, it took us 32 days. Okay. We eventually got it down to, our fastest time was in 2003. We, or, yeah, 2003, we did it in 21 days. But I'm thinking this group of guys could do it in 15 days, and, and we're going to try that this summer. I put together a team of four of these elite pushers, and we're going to do a little bit different. We're going to go still four-man team, mm-hmm. relay, leapfrog relay, but we're going to start on the East Coast. We're going to start in Williamsburg, Virginia, and finish in Newport, Oregon. How did the technology affect you guys back in 76? Mm. Were, were <laughs> they still using like the clay wheel no, skateboards? We were using first-generation urethane wheels, and it's really interesting now when uh, people – Skaters, long distance pushers, see what we used back then. They, they just they're they're blown away. I mean, and we thought back then we thought we had really big big wheels. We had a fifty seven millimeter wheel. The wheels the guys will be using on this trip are a hundred and five millimeter. Yeah, the, the, um, the urethane formulas are so much better. The trucks are better. The boards are better. And these guys train. I mean, they are they are athletes. Yeah, and that, and that's where you know I even go back to the equipment back then when it came to skateboards. I mean, I was a kid growing up. I had skateboard too. You think you have technology in front of you, and then you find out all these years later you don't. And then somebody introduces you or reintroduces you into what you were using that you thought was so great back oh, yeah. then. And you think, you've got to be kidding me. I, was, I can't believe I did this. Well, I, I look at my boards, and I, I can't believe we did it sometimes. The board we rode um, that I rode in 76 was 25 inches long by six, six, six and a half inches wide. 
you know, the boards that these guys are riding are in the 40, 38 to 40 inch range, and they're just, uh, it's like comparing a Volkswagen to a Ferrari. Yes. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Evil Knievel stunts. Back in 76, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, he's doing these jumps, and he's barely making it, and he's crashing all the time, and you realize, you know, you, you think it's hard, but then you have to realize he's doing it on a Harley Versus, to, if he had the today's technology, mm-hmm. yeah. he would have done that with ease. Oh yeah, he would have had no problems yeah. with so many of these jumps. Yeah, but he was doing it on a eight thousand pound Harley with hardly any suspension. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and now guys are doing evil's tricks, you know, with no hands. You know, they take their hands off the, you know, yeah, the that, bike, and you can get away with that. You know, the other thing too that really bothers me today about all the social media and everything else is that anytime you tell anybody you're going to do something today, as opposed to maybe 30, 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Now, when you talk about it, yep. you've got 500 people responding on your uh, social media account saying, yep. are you looking at this? Are you looking mm-hmm. at that? You need to worry about this. You need to worry about that. And it's this constant barrage of bringing you down. Well, you're, ex- you're exactly right, Michael. Um, ever since uh, the Internet has begun or since I began, uh, you know, started using it, um, you know, I'll see postings almost every year of, of, of a person um, saying that they're going to attempt a cross-country trip. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people come on and encourage them. Sure. But then you have that segment who, well, what, just like you said, what about this? What about that? Oh, I don't think it. And I always tell people, I'm kind of glad the Internet wasn't around in 76 because we probably would have never done it. Oh, I don't blame you. I, I know anything that I've ever taken on in my life that seems like kind of a lunatic challenge looking back on when I did it. Um, I, I have found very quickly that I can't post it on the internet. I have to just go do it mm-hmm. and just go make it happen. Because right. if I ever did anything like that, people would be going crazy. It'd be blown <laughs> on my phone. I'd be getting text messages from everybody. I just have to, I, I realize very quickly, I just have to go out there and make that happen right. in my life. Yep. And I know that's got to be so much of what has made your life just so incredible over the years and watching the things that you have accomplished. Well, you know, and going back at that, that trip in 76, um, that we were able to, to do this and pull it off at, at that age, having no clue what we were doing, making it up as we went along. Mm-hmm. And when we finished it, it it really did give, I think, all of us a great deal of confidence to move forward with, you know, we want to do something, just do it, you know. Did you ever realize at the moment that you were doing it how much of an impact it would have on your life, especially later on your on, on, on in your life, when you look back and say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I really did this? You know, in in the moment back then, no, we were the only thing we one of the things we thought about was, hey man, we're nineteen, we're skateboarding across America, and somebody's paying us to do this. Oh, that's right, I forgot all about that because if you make it, you get five hundred dollars. Yeah, and the guy actually met us at the finish line, the vice president of the company, and handed us each five hundred dollars in cash. And that night at the hotel, we got this free hotel from the Williamsburg Chamber of Commerce, Mm -hmm. and we took that five hundred bucks. It was all in twenties. And we laid it out on a table and just stared at it. None of us had ever seen that much money before. Well, no, that's a lot of money for anybody even today. But back then, that was <laughs> yeah. quite a bit of money, in fact. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, and that's what's so interesting about anything that any of us have ever done is this idea of we live in a world today where it's almost like people are discouraging you to do things. When back then, you could have done it. And because we didn't have the Internet, you could say, let's go ahead and do this. Yeah. But the most amazing thing looking back is saying, I did this, but at the time I didn't realize what an impact it would have on my life, what right. I was accomplishing at the time, and what I was actually doing. Yeah. And it's a good thing I didn't overthink it. Well, I, I, you know, I'm pretty st- much still involved in the long distance world one way or another, skateboarding world. And, you know, sometimes out of the blue, I'll just get a, 
an e- email from somebody, mm-hmm. um, from a young guy saying, hey, I just saw your, your little eight-minute short film on, on your first trip. Man, what an inspiration, you know? And that makes me feel great that, you know, inspired somebody to do take up the uh, skating and do something on their own. Yeah, and that's what's so amazing is when you do those things in your life and then all of a sudden, and people don't realize this, that when somebody reaches out to you and you, you know, maybe you're having a bad day or something, and then you get this email that pops up on your screen that says, hey, listen, I saw that you did this years ago or you did this or you did that. That was an inspiration for what I'm doing here today and I was really inspired about what you're doing here. And, And I know you have a lot of that. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, like I said, it makes you feel good when you get that email. Yeah, and what's got to be interesting is now with this new movie project that you've got going on, there have got to be other people who have also approached you about saying, you know, I saw you do this movie or, you know, it's inspired me to do this quick little documentary mm-hmm. or anything else like that. And I'm sure you get people like that as well. Yeah, you know, on t- somewhat to a lesser extent because, you know, the movie, you know, it, it doesn't have as big as reach as a big Hollywood movie sure. might have. But, yeah, um, you know, I get a lot of... Um, still get emails and Facebook messages from people in Iowa mm-hmm. who, uh, you know, are just happy we made the film and, and it's, uh, you know, their daughters now understand and the granddaughters now understand what they went through when they played. Yeah, that's got to be amazing. Well, Jack, hey, listen, thank you so much for coming in today. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. I almost feel bad that we've got to cut this off because when you and I talk, it goes on for hours and yeah. hours and hours. Right. So anyways, but thanks again for coming in today. Always very appreciated. Well, we have a great show coming up for you in the next couple hours. In fact, we got uh, coming in in this next hour, we got Nairi Shajin coming in talking about living a healthy lifestyle in a busy world. So we hope you stay tuned. This is News Talk 920 AM, 96.5 FM, KVEC. The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911.